In the Holy Gospel according to John, the first chapter. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The Gospel of the Lord. All three of my sons have been Jesus. That is to say, they all played the part of baby Jesus in the Christmas children's program when I served as pastor in Calamus, Iowa. Jake, my middle, was the easiest since he was five weeks old. He slept through the whole thing and was a convincing, serene, and calm baby Jesus. Christian was okay, my oldest. He was six months old, a feistier version of Jesus, intent on repeatedly throwing his pacifier, at which point nailed a shepherd boy in the eye. Philip was by far the most challenging baby Jesus. He's my youngest. He was 10 months old at the time when he was cast for the role. The six-year-old Mary had to practically wrestle him to keep him in the manger as he was determined to crawl out of it. While most parishioners were at best amused and at worst tolerant of their antics, some were greatly offended. I learned a few years later, as Lutherans are so very good at silently holding on to grudges, it seems some did not appreciate the apparel I chose to dress my sons in for their role as baby Jesus. Jacob was dressed as a candy cane, tucked inside of a stocking instead of a swaddling blanket. 
Christian was a reindeer, wearing an outfit his grandma Connie had given him when he was born. Philip was a tiny Santa, complete with hat and soft pointed black booties with little gold buckles. These clothes were not appropriate, I later learned, as they were too secular, too common, too offensive even, and had no place in the holy manger. And certainly Philip's refusal to quietly submit to his role led some to believe his behavior was inappropriate in the manger. It's almost as if he didn't want to be there, one person observed. To which I replied, of course he didn't want to be there. He was a 10-month-old toddler. As I have grown, and as they have grown, I've decided I could not disagree more. Is there, in the end, a mode of dress or a symbol or a behavior that is not beckoned to the manger? Does Jesus not invite all people to his side? When, in fact, later in John, he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. The whole point of God coming to earth in the person of Jesus, both at the manger and on the cross, is to draw everyone into God's kingdom. Nonetheless, these observations remain interesting to me as the church is ever working to increase its diversity. Because who do we think were manger side when Jesus was born? Yes, there was the host of heavenly angels filling the skies with their anthems, but sometimes we think they were the only ones there. We forget about the shepherds, who certainly did not smell good, having run in from far-off fields, whose mannerisms were crude, whose language was likely very simple, we forget about the wise ones from the East whose dark skin and scientific religion and mystical ways certainly drew puzzled and suspicious gazes from others. We forget about the non-humans present, the sheep who gave milk and wool and beasts of burden who carried goods as well as people. If we envision this bizarre gathering at the manger of Jesus, we must admit it was a most motley and peculiar group. There was the holy and the profane, the majestic, the poor, the educated, the crude, soft hands and calloused hands the winged and the hooved. There were silken robes and scratchy tunics. There were smooth groomed faces and faces who had weathered sun and wind. 
There were ones who ate at lavish tables, ones who ate bread with unwashed hands, and ones who ate from a trough or in a field. This is a very simple Christmas message, really. There is no shocking new proclamation here today. Rather, this is a reminder of a message we already know to be true, but sometimes forget or even doubt. This message is a reminder that Jesus is the true light, which enlightens everyone, not some. And he has come into our world. For if Jesus has come only for some, what does this say about his Father, creator of all things and all people? That some are not worthy of Jesus? That God forsakes or abandons some of God's creation? If Jesus only comes to our world for some, does that mean that some fall outside of the realm of the grace of God? If Jesus only comes for some, does that mean perhaps I am one of those who falls outside? of the grace of God. There is a reason that the Christmas narrative goes as it does. It is important to see the cast of characters for who they really are, not for whom we wish them to be. There is no one at the manger who is somehow inappropriate or wrongly dressed or whose behavior is unsavory. Heck, there might have been one or two who didn't even want to be there, but went because their friends went. Or perhaps there were one or two or all who really had no idea what was going on, but somehow found themselves swept up in some holy drama that was unfolding right before their own very confused eyes. And certainly there were one or two or all who felt like they did not deserve to be there, but were nonetheless there because they were invited. Having been beckoned from nearby fields and from foreign palaces by an infant God whose arms embrace all of creation. I've been on a Dietrich Bonhoeffer kick as of late. As some of you recall, a few weeks ago, I read some excerpts from poems and letters that he wrote while in prison at Christmas time in 1943. He was a martyred German pastor in the time of the Nazi rule in Germany. He wrote a poem in July of 1944 called Christians and Pagans, so appropriate on this Christmas day. He writes, People turn to God when they're in need, plead for help, contentment, and for bread. To rescue from their sickness, guilt, and death, they all do so, both Christians and pagans. People turn to God in God's own need to find God poor, degraded, without roof or bread. See God devoured by sin, weakness, and death. Christians stand with God to share God's pain. 
God turns to all people in their need, nourishes body and soul with God's own bread, takes up the cross for Christians and pagans both, and in forgiving both, is slain. The message today is one that thunders throughout the heavens with angels' song, but also is whispered in fields and shacks and refugee camps. It is a message softly sung today by ones who have lost their homes or loved ones and still somehow feel the warmth of their body close by or catch a familiar scent of a beloved perfume. It is a message silently defied by ones who have been rejected and harmed by the church. It is a message cast as mostly irrelevant in a world that sees little connection between Christmas and this planet. It is a message twisted by some to determine who's in and who's out. It is a message wrongly associated with creeds or flags. It is the simplest of all messages, no need to complicate it or embellish it. God comes to our world in the person of Jesus Christ and invites every single created person and thing to his manger, regardless of dress, behavior, complexion, education, creed, orientation, from the most pious to the most profane. There is no naughty or nice list here. No one is left out. All are invited. All are expected. And when we finally reach the manger, either close up or from a distance, we encounter pure grace. Amen.